Today's scripture reading is coming from John chapter 17. Jesus said, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one, as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The Gospel of the Lord. Thank you, Joni. You may be seated. Grace to you and peace this morning. I attended a preaching conference last month, and I got to hear Will Williman speak. He is a pastor's pastor, writing over 70 books while he spent most of his career as the chaplain at Duke University. He is a widely sought-after speaker, and so many Sundays of his life, he now finds himself as a guest preacher in congregations that he does not know. He told us about one such Sunday, November 13th, 2016, the Sunday after the last presidential election. Now, chances are, mentioning that election elicits some emotional response from you, maybe anger, maybe annoyance, maybe joy, but probably mixed in there within you right now is a degree of nervousness that your pastor is talking about it from the pulpit. So stay with me. I promise this isn't a tirade. It's a window into Christian unity. We're all going to be fine. Just hang on. Anyway, imagine being a preacher tasked with proclaiming the gospel that Sunday, wrestling with how it is that the grace of Christ is showing up to a divided country. And now imagine having to do that without knowing who sat in the pews, what their feelings were about the whole thing, what the word was that their hearts were longing for. That was what Will Williman was walking into. Now, a cautious preacher might have punted. <laughs> but Will Willman is not known for caution. And so as part of his sermon, he risked honesty, expressing his own sadness, his own qualms with the president as a leader, and also as a person. But then he said this, 
Jesus was pleased to be born into the world for him, die for his sins, call him by name in the waters of baptism, and rejoice in his being exuberantly. And each of us is bound together with him in the communion of saints, and we have been commanded by Christ to love one another. After the service, he stood at the door to shake people's hands. One man held on to his hand and said, Preacher, do you mean to tell me that you have a problem with our new president? Will Ruhlman responded, I don't think you heard my sermon. My main problem isn't with our president, it's with Jesus Christ. Jesus, he prays today that all his followers throughout space and time may be one. Unity. It's a tricky concept. It seems like it's something that we should want. Because who doesn't love the feeling of camaraderie, of knowing you're in it together, of feeling a part of something larger than yourself? A team. The downside of Christian unity, of course, is that you don't get to pick who's on that team. And when you look around and realize who it is exactly that God has unified you with, you wonder if maybe you could have made some better picks than God. And maybe you're not like Will Williman. Maybe you love this president, but surely you know that feeling of looking around and thinking, really, Jesus? You chose them? You've united me with them? If unity is a gift from God, it's a gift we might flip over in hopes that the receipt is still taped on the back. Because unity is more about the disturbing and disruptive work of extending the scope of our compassion and care to those we all have in our lives that we wish would just go away. It's more about that than it is about us getting to be buddy-buddy with the people we like already. Yes, we think we want unity, but what we actually want most of the time is uniformity. Unity, but only with people who are like us. And uniformity is actually what we get most of the time. Life has been arranged for us so that without really trying, we tend to end up in circles of people just like us. Age, race, class, gender, religion, political affiliation, American society has us more or less monocropped socially and geographically. And that might work out okay for most of us in terms of minimizing complications and maximizing comfort. It might make it easy for us to avoid serious engagement with people who might call our assumptions into question. 
it might make it convenient for us to be able to write someone off, excusing ourselves from the hard work of taking them seriously. But our monocropping does not take into account what Jesus so earnestly desires for us. What Jesus wants, according to today's reading, is for us to know God. But we can't just know God on our own. God is invisible to begin with. And God is larger than our mind's ability to comprehend and grander than our ability to imagine. And that makes it hard for us to just know God. And so God gives us a way to know who God is. And that is by placing God's own image on humankind. All of it. You can read it right there in Genesis 1. The Bible starts out by naming this deep truth. It's quite clear. One way we can come to know God is by looking for God's image imprinted in every human heart and soul. This comes naturally to us with people we love. You hear it at funerals all the time. Mom showed me what God looked like. My spouse's smile was a glimpse of heaven's joy. And that's true. But the people we love and the people who are like us are not the only people who bear God's image. It also rests on those people who lead drastically different lives than we do. It also makes its mark on people who drive us bonkers. And this, this is why Jesus needs to pray for us to all have unity. It's because he knows we just won't bother to look for God's image in some people. We'll turn our heads wanting to keep with our own kind. And what that means is that we'll miss something important of God's character by our refusal to look for God's image on those we would rather stay out of our lives. So today we remember our baptism, and this is a very common thing to do in Lutheran churches, but I gotta say the mechanics of the rite, they differ from congregation to congregation. Well, when I was on my pastoral internship in California, my church was extravagant in its worship style. And when we remembered our baptism, this is how we would do it. I would go to the closet and fetch a bowl that was purchased specifically for this, and I'd hold it under one arm. And then I'd take a, I, I'm not joking, a sprig of freshly cut rosemary, and I'd parade in my robe around the congregation sprinkling the water on everybody. <laughs> when I came to the choir one Sunday while I was doing this, I noticed the church treasurer. She was someone that made me want to look for the receipt on God's gift of unity. 
we had clashed all year. Sometimes it was about important church business, but it was mainly petty. She would double-check my math in front of me. She seemed to find a fault with every expense I pursued, calling it extravagant and frivolous. And she would park in my reserved parking spot. <laughs> and, so, and so when it came time for me to sprinkle the choir, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to skimp on the water. <laughs> Two can play this game of pettiness. <laughs> but then I noticed that there were tears in her eyes. This ritual of remembering our baptism had moved her. It's like she actually believed that God had saved her by pure grace or something. And I saw something in her that I had not seen before. God's own image. And suddenly, like a river, love and compassion flowed out from within me toward her. I thought about her strained relationship with her son, her lonely years in a profession dominated by men, the determined dedication she brought to serve the church she loved. And as the love and compassion welled up within me, I was just soaking the choir with rosemary-scented water. But inside, I was still crying out to God like, can you make this stop, please? I don't have room for this. I don't want to love her. I want her as an enemy. It's so much easier. Why do you have to go and give this gift of unity right now? But when God gives a gift, it doesn't come with a receipt. You can't return it. And God had gifted us with that very unity that Jesus prays for in Scripture today. How fitting it came as we remembered God's gift of baptism, which draws us not only to God's self, but to the whole community of Christians throughout space and time. Baptism, that's how God gives us this strange gift of unity with the very people we wish we could wish away. And unity with those people, it is a gift. It's a gift because it knocks down our prideful judgment of others. It's a gift because it reminds us that God's kingdom doesn't belong to us and our whims and the litmus tests we'd impose if we were in charge. It belongs to Jesus Christ who has opened the door to all. This unity is a gift because it reminds us that each of us bears God's image. And by looking at each other, even when it is hard, we see something of God. That is Jesus' prayer. And that is Jesus' gift. Amen. <laughs>